Hey there, welcome to How to Write a Novel, uh, week seven. It's starting to get to the point, I guess, where I'm like, yeah, seven weeks in, like, it really, I really haven't gotten very much done. <laughs> but that's where I do think you just gotta have that kind of, uh, you gotta be full of yourself to a certain extent of like, yeah, you know what, maybe this is a bad uh, amount of progress or a small amount of progress for seven weeks into this chronicle but as I've explained many times it's like it's this or nothing if I push myself that doesn't work and I don't get uh, results that I like but also you just got to chill out a little bit you got to be like you know what yeah okay maybe this is going slow but what if I told you that this was the speed that it took, this was the pace that it took to write an all-time classic. Then it doesn't seem so bad, <laughs> you know? If this is the pace to write a book that people still remember in 50 years, seems pretty good, seems pretty reasonable. Again, that may not be realistic, that may not at all be the outcome here, but uh, who cares, <laughs> you know? Then if I get to the end of this book and it does not set the world on fire, no problem, just keep steamrolling along. Just keep, uh, I was gonna say trudging, but that's not a very pleasant word. But just keep moving, just keep moving forward. Just write another book and another book and another book. Yeah, I was thinking about that, uh, just that, that really insular kind of uh, view that I presume a person needs to get through a project like writing a book. I don't know. I mean, I've just always had it. Like, it's just naturally how I am. I just think that I'm right, <laughs> you know? And I mean, not in like a crazy way, but as far as like aesthetic judgment, as far as my values for what I like and what I don't like, it's just very clear and is not affected by outside opinions. I mean, I can be thrown off a little, I can be temporarily rerouted, but ultimately it always comes back to just, you know, I have my own view, my own very clear view. And that's another thing where uh, I guess different types of writing advice are valuable for different types of people. I can only speak for the people like me, the people that uh, have a very clear view of what they think is good and what they think is the way to go. So I'm trying to kind of put forth a mechanical method that we can get to the end of the road, that we can keep working on something until it's complete. But as far as like, oh, what kind of story should I write? Like, if you're asking that kind of question, then I don't know what to tell you. Because <laughs> that is not something that people like me would ever ask. That's not even, it's not in our wheelhouse. That's just not even in our sphere of behavior. <laughs> it's just not how it is. And I was thinking how weird that is. Like in the case of Black Panther. So, uh, couple of weeks back, you know, I did a podcast where I was like, yeah, fuck Black Panther. Here's, here's how I would have done it. That movie was boring. 
And in the meantime, Black Panther has made a billion dollars. It's been a huge success. Everybody loves it. But that doesn't change my opinion at all. And it's not that I think everybody's wrong. Kind of I do, I guess, but I just don't even think of it like that. It's just like whatever other people, whatever people in general, whatever it is they like, whatever it is they want, it's just like not even in the same sphere as me. It's not on the same plane. It's like we're just in different places moving toward different things. And it just doesn't matter at all what they think. And I just think it's interesting that I feel that way so fundamentally that if, say, I knew Ryan Coogler, say I was friends with him, and he knew I was a big fan of Creed as I was, and he's like, hey, let me send you the script to Black Panther. Tell me what you think. It would be better for him not to send it to me because I would give him the advice that would not produce a billion dollar movie. He would fail because of me. If he followed what I thought, he would fail. And yet, I would still feel like I did the right thing. Like, he could give me that script and I could be like, dude, this is crazy boring. I hate this. The only thing I like about this is Killmonger. And here is my plan for how you could make this movie about Killmonger. Here's how you could radically remake this movie into something exciting and something memorable and something that really means something and something that is awesome. As explained in my fucking episode about Black Panther, wherever that is, in the archives. And he could say like, but man, I've got a sliders machine. I've seen the reality where I make this movie and it makes a billion dollars and everyone loves it. And I would still be like, well, I guess, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you shouldn't ask me. You shouldn't show me because <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter that that movie made a billion dollars. That movie's boring. That's not the right movie. That's not the one that should have been made. That is not the movie that lives up to the great shit he did with Creed. That's not the movie that does something interesting. That's not the movie that does something unique. And it's funny, like, the whole sort of side conversation about, like, the uh, steps that it made as far as a black cast in movies. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That is progressive. That's really neat. But my brain just doesn't work that way. Of like, like, that doesn't affect what the movie is to me. That's completely besides the point. That's, like, still a boring movie. <laughs> you know? Doesn't matter that it did X, Y, and Z. That's not the movie. That's not what the movie is. And yeah, even if I had, even if we had the sliders machine and we could look at, and we could look at the two realities and there's the one reality where he makes his version and it makes a billion dollars and everyone loves it. And then we look at my reality where he follows my advice and he makes this weird reverse Marvel movie about Eric Killmonger. And people are like, what the fuck? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. What is this? I would still tell him to make my version. I would still insist and feel with all of my fucking soul that like, that's the right one. That's the one that the time is gonna tell on. That's the one that the future is gonna remember. Who cares what people think now? Who cares? But you can't like explain that to someone. You can't teach that to someone. You just have to be that guy. And I guess I was kind of thinking about this because I was listening to uh, 
a YouTuber who has BPD, and I remember when I first learned about borderline personality disorder, which is not a good term for that particular disorder. What's the other thing people call it? Like, it's kind of like inappropriate levels of emotional response, you know? It's like you react too strongly to uh, stimulus that most people are not so affected by. It's sort of like having post-traumatic stress disorder, you know? It's just like, except about nothing. It's just how you are. And I don't know that I necessarily have that, or, you know, maybe like a touch. It's not my diagnosis. It's not like, oh, that's definitely what I got. But it's interesting to hear people talk about it, because it's like, whatever I got, I got something, <laughs> you know? I don't know what it is, but I got something. Something that makes me different. That makes me just not walk to the beat of everybody else's drum unless I want to, unless I feel like, yeah, that's how I want to walk. If I don't feel like that's right, there is no evidence in the world that can make me think different. There just isn't, because that's not how I see it. Like, that's not the truth, <laughs> you know? It's like all that evidence does not affect what I feel is the truth in my fucking soul. And maybe the Black Panther is a dumb example because it's just some movie. But, but that notion of like, well, hey, it must have been a good movie. It made a billion dollars. <laughs> like, I couldn't give less of a shit about that. That just means nothing. That just, just means nothing. If anything, maybe it is just a sign of how boring it is. It's like, hey, that was easy to digest. But yeah, that's a slightly weird thought of like, that I feel so strongly about what I think is right and what I would do and how I want things to be that if someone were to come to me for advice or for how to rewrite something or how to proceed with something it's literally better not to ask because I'm going to give you what I think and what I see 100% and it's not going to deviate and I'm not going to back off on it and I'm not going to ever coddle you and say like, no, I guess maybe your way's okay. Because there's no room in my head for that. Your billion dollar plan is the wrong plan. Fuck the billion dollars. That movie sucks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, I mean, that's just, I don't know. That's just interesting. It's an interesting thing because there's no clear answer. There's no clear way to proceed. It's like, I'm still just gonna follow my own muse and follow my own way. And the fact that my idea might be the failure, the idea that my idea might be the perceived wrong way to go, just doesn't matter. Because it won't be the wrong way for me. <laughs> you know, I'll be proud. I would be proud if I could see those two realities and I could just be like, yeah, fuck it. I derailed that train that was going to make a billion dollars, but, but, the movie I made was so cool, and I don't care if nobody thought it was cool. I know it was cool. And yeah, it's hard to even explain things like that. You're just that way, or you're not that way. Now, on the other hand, the other thing that I think is funny is when I just, just by following what I'm feeling, can be very contradictory because I talk a lot about going slow and being careful and presenting the best thing that you can and not just grinding out writing, especially writing. 
I feel like it's okay if you really want to grind out. If you grind out a lot of drafts of something, that's not such a bad idea. But to grind out completed writing, I think is just like, you're like a bad person. Because <laughs> someone's supposed to read that. You're asking someone to read this shit that you're just pumping out. That's offensive. But I've been reading the book Fearless by Francine Pascal. And I learned some weird things about it, so I'm still kind of digging it. I finally got to, on page 99, there's a truly bad part where I'm just like, oh, this sucks. Let me, let me get it. Let me read you this. Because the whole notion of this book is this teen girl who was born without the sense of fear. And she's like a cool FBI agent or working toward becoming a cool FBI agent because she was trained by her dad to be a super cool fighter. But the fact that she doesn't feel fear just makes her extremely powerful. And I just like that notion, because it's just, uh, fear is tiresome. And not coincidentally, you know, this book I'm writing is about this girl who's like from a, a rhino-type species from a violent lava planet. So in her case, I mean, it's sort of similar. It's not that she doesn't feel fear, she just never interprets it like that. If she ever feels fear, it is translated immediately into violent action. So there's no time to feel fear. That's her whole culture, you know, that's what they're based on. Better to die in a berserker, frothy rage than to be scared and to hesitate. So it's kind of not coincidence, I think, that I like this Fearless book so much. But it's already starting to crumble halfway through this first book because she doesn't feel fear, but she sure does feel a lot of other emotions that uh, are strikingly similar to fear <laughs> in, in how they affect the story. It's like, oh, I don't feel scared about this high school party, but I certainly do feel... What was it? I'm not even going to look that up. She felt something <laughs> that was functionally the same, which is disappointing. But she meets this guy playing chess in, like, Washington Square Park, and she's really careful not to give up what a super soldier that she is to people. But she's trying to hustle this guy at chess, and he's kind of trying to hustle her, so they're both like, holy shit. Like, they both kind of realize that they're, like, grandmaster-level chess players, and she realizes that she's gotten too deep. Like, she's let this guy who knows a lot about chess realize how much she knows about chess and it's just like she's super uncomfortable about it because if she starts explaining anything about her wacky cia life you know it's all gonna come down and the guy he's really just playing because he needed twenty dollars you know he's like looks dapper on the outside but he may or may not be homeless so <laughs> we'll see we'll see how it goes with this guy so as she gets more uncomfortable and realizes like how much of her hand she's shown to this guy inadvertently she just uh bails out on the game tosses 20 bucks at him and that's that and that would have been cool that should have been the scene he should have just taken the 20 bucks and been like good enough see you around i'll unravel your secrets later but he like immediately is just like oh i'm so in love with her what happened like in the course of this one chess game i'm so in love with her and listen to this this is so bad keep in mind these books came out one per month there is no hurry to rush along this relationship he watched her go, feeling a terrible tightness in his throat. What had she done to him? It had all happened in that moment, when he'd met her eyes and, like a mystic, seemed to see her past and future. 
Her past was haunting, marked by bottomless wounds, and the future was terrifying because it included him. That's really shitty. <laughs> but I mean, that's not a bad ratio. Page 99 before I got to a part where I'm like, oh, that's terrible, Francine Pascal. Are you fucking joking right now? What are you, what's going on? But anyway, I'm still interested enough. I'm like in this like kind of, uh, you know, shallow way of just this book that I found at the fucking thrift store. I'm into this. And sometimes it is kind of comforting to, uh, you know, to partake of some entertainment that you don't have to take seriously. That's not a big thing. It's not some award-winning whatever. Like, I felt so weird reading that book, The Road. Because, like, The Road's not bad, but it's very thin and quite disposable. And it's sort of like, you know, tentative thumbs up. Like, yeah, that was okay. As long as you just think of it as, like, a weird little adventure book. It's like, yeah, that's alright. There's some things to think about in that book. But then, you see winner of the Pulitzer Prize. And that like makes it less fun to read because it's like that just adds this whole layer of like, like what are you talking about? Like suddenly now in my mind I've got to contend with the nature of the Pulitzer Prize and of this group that hands out accolades and like why did they give it to this book and why are they adding all of this significance and weight to this book that is not that significant and not that weighty. And it goes from fun adventure story to like, ugh, like am I supposed to really take this serious now? Am I supposed to care about this book way more than it's possible to care about this book? That level of, of weight made it worse. So that's one thing that's fun about just getting a book like Fearless at the thrift store. There is no weight, there is zero weight. The only reason I knew what it was at all was because of the Rachel Lee Cook TV series. So I looked that up. I don't even know how I knew there was a Rachel Lee Cook series. I guess just because, like I mentioned, I liked Rachel Lee Cook a lot in the 90s and the early 2000s. I was a huge fan of Josie and the Pussycats. Not even kidding, that movie is great. <laughs> I love that movie. But I looked it up again and there was only a pilot. It never even got made into a series. So it's like, did I? see that pilot somehow back in the early days of the internet? Did I just hear about it? Maybe I just heard about it and I just presumed it had been made into a series and just that I had never watched. But it never did. It was only this one pilot. So I looked into the book series a little because I'm like, you know, I'm enjoying this enough that I would like to read at least a little more, but I'm a little bit stuck. Because if I just hope to find those books at uh, thrift stores, I mean, it's fun to have a target, have something to look for. But, I mean, it could be years before I find any more, and, uh, and I like to read stuff in order, even if it doesn't matter, I would prefer to read them in order. And I can't just go online and order these books because I, I just never have a permanent address. I just move around every month to different little Airbnbs and shit. It's a big pain in the ass to get these disposable books. But as I looked into them, man, these are more disposable than I ever could have dreamed. Because Francine Pascal, it turns out, is the creator of Sweet Valley High, <laughs> you know? The, like, super famous disposable teen series. I don't know that I've ever read a Sweet Valley High book. I read a Sweet Valley Twins book. Or I started to, I hated it. <laughs> and uh, I started a parody once called Murder Valley High. 
that I didn't get very far into. But just like that's how ubiquitous Sweet Valley High is, is that, you know, when I went to make my parody, that's the name I went for. So not only did the queen of disposable teen books, Francine Pascal, make this Fearless series, but there are 36 books in the series. And then they started another series where she was older that only made it a few books in and, uh, and stopped. But it's like, oh my God, because this is a big thing that, uh, another way that I'm always a little confused about people is that when I like something, I always dive deeper. I think just because it's relatively rare for me to find stuff that I like, so I don't want to just let go. Like if some band has a one-hit wonder, it's usually not worth the time, but I always go check out the album just in case, you know? If somebody has a great YouTube video, it's amazing to see someone with like a YouTube video with 800,000 views, and then you dig deeper into their channel and the other videos have like three or 400 views because literally nobody does that. Like nobody, statistically nobody does that. Less than 1%. And I don't really understand why, because to me it's like, hey, I found somebody I like. Of course I would want more, why wouldn't I? But it's just really become obvious in the internet age especially that that's not how people act, that's not how people think. They just want the thing, just give me the single, just give me the surface level thing, give me the thing everyone else is paying attention to. And it's just big time not how my brain works. But now I'm in a, a weird situation that I'm kind of digging this Fearless book and I'm like, yeah, you know what, this is kind of cool, it's pretty disposable, I don't feel like I need to read it super carefully, I can burn through it pretty fast, it's very light reading. But it's legitimately got some cool shit, like it's cool attitude. Maybe because this character is uh, ostensibly a fearless person, she says some cool shit and she does some wacky shit. But digging around last night, I didn't think I'd be able to find the books. I found a torrent for the EPUBs that uh, had no cedars. I let it sit for an hour, nothing happened. But I dug deep enough that I found some random ass forum from some years ago that had links to, you know, like mega upload or whatever, like that type of site. And miraculously, I had to get three different files from three different sites in order to get the whole 36 book series. Had to dodge around some attempts for malware bullshit and like, and just the fact that these files were still there, that they hadn't expired. But I did it, I jumped through all these hoops and now, I've gone from, oh, this is this nice little treat that I found, this weird little thing. Now I've got all 36 volumes of the original run of Fearless on my phone. And it's like, oh, now what have I done? Now this went from a, a gentle treat to like, oh my God, 36 books. And even if I kind of like this first one, there's no way, right? There's no way. There's no way this is going to be worth my time. And none of this, like, fits, <laughs> you know? Like, the idea of sticking with something does fit. Like, when I find something I like, I don't care if everyone else thinks it's dumb. I don't care if people make fun of Limp Biscuit. Next time Limp Biscuit puts out an album, I'm there. I will legitimately give it a chance. I don't care that this is the Sweet Valley High woman. I, if I like the first one, I like the first one. I'm not gonna lie about it. I'm gonna check out the second one. I'm gonna see how deep this goes. 
But it is funny that it just goes so counter to my own rants about writing and what writing is for and what writing should be like. 36 books in a series is not, you know, is not, not what writing should be like. It's like, this is everything that I say that I hate, but here I am, I'm doing it. And not begrudgingly, I'm like excited. <laughs> like, let's see how this is going to go. So I don't know, I'm a complicated man. What can I tell you? I do think too, I mean, that is, I guess, one of the rare ways. There's not many ways that I feel like I've become more mature in my life. But uh, one of the ways, I guess, is that less and less, like I find it less and less valuable when somebody just has hard and fast opinions. Like, I'll get on a rant and I'll be like, hey, this is what I think and this is how it is. And I used to like when other people were that way when I was younger. You know, I felt it comforting. But deep down, I feel less and less that way. Deep down, it's really, those are the people that are just tiresome. It's like, they're not listening. They're not asking a question. They're not trying to learn something. They're just telling you what they think. They're just like, here's how it is. Here's what I think. And it's like, did anyone actually ask you? Does anyone actually care? Why do you think you know anything? The fact that you're just spouting your opinion, it's, you know, old white guys do this very frequently. The fact that you're just spouting your opinion without asking, without questioning, without having an actual discussion with somebody is almost proof positive that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So yeah, when I get on these rants, when I'm just on a beach by myself and I'm just yelling at no one into a weird recorder, take it all with a grain of salt. Because I do have things that in the moment, I'm like, this seems very clear. This seems like the way it is. And hopefully some of this, uh, I do think kind of my fundamental ideas of like writing at a slow pace and just, you know, the uh, tortoise versus the hare approach to writing. I think that is valuable, but we'll wait, you know, like wait until the future. Wait until I have actual books done. <laughs> wait until you read one and go, oh, okay, actually that book was kind of good. Because if I don't make it to the end, if these books aren't good, if you don't like them, then don't do what I say. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and in general, yeah, my generalized rants about the world and about society. I mean, I'm just here by myself. That's all I can do. That's all I can do is talk to nobody, talk to myself about my own thoughts. But when I talk to other people, that is like the one area of maturity that I'm really trying to evolve and really trying to get better with is not to just speak, not just to give my opinion. If I was talking to Ryan Coogler about his fucking Black Panther script, like the thing to do would be to ask him about it, talk through it. Why is this the way? Tell me your plan, tell me your vision. You tell me instead of me telling you. It's like just way better. <laughs> it's a way more mature way to be. And I do feel like sometimes that when people are too forthright about their opinion, here's what I think and here's what it is, it's just because they want to block off the conversation because they're not actually confident. That surface confidence, that bluster is just a lack of confidence. It's like, I don't want to leave room for you to speak. I don't want to leave room for your ideas to get into my head because 
then I got to deal with them and then I got to rethink my position. I'd much rather just state my opinion. Here's what I think. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I'd say that uh, it doesn't necessarily come naturally to me to be uh, a little more open and a little more of a two-way street with conversations. Man, fuck the two-way street even. If I would just shut up and just listen to other people, that's almost certainly the best way to go, the better way to go. And yeah, it's a little tricky for me. It's a little tough, but but I think it's good that I recognize that that is the way I want to move toward. Because that's all everything is. It's just a, just a matter of degrees. Nobody changes overnight. The pressure just changes, you know? The direction changes slowly. And as long as you feel the pressure moving in a certain direction and just moving you a little bit every day, just turning slowly, like a giant battleship, just slowly turning in the new direction. Next thing you know, it's four years later or whatever, and you've, you're turned, you're pointed a different way. You're acting a different way, you're doing different stuff. Within the limits of just how you are, obviously. There's a lot of stuff that ain't gonna change, but there's a lot of stuff that can. So there's a fucking rant. I haven't actually done any writing since uh, I recorded yesterday's podcast, so I should go do some writing now. As always, thank you for listening. What would be a good Fearless song? What could I play? Oh, I know. There's a Saul Williams song called Fearless. <laughs> so let's play that. Thank you for joining me. I will talk to you tomorrow. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. And I don't know whether to live or die. Kept my love for her Locked deep inside It cuts like a knife She's out of my life Out of my life Out of my hair Out of my mind There's no love in fear I Move on Move on Dear God I wasn't breastfed and most of my conversations with men seem to revolve around music. I'm no musician, but the pain has been instrumental. My senses finally tuned to instruments of, of, of being lonely, of being lost, of being loved, of being human. Man, I can use a metaphor, but I can get beyond this shit. I can use someone to talk to, but most of my conversations with men seem to revolve around music. I, I, I am a poet who composes what the world poses and poses what the world composes i am a poet who composes what the world poses and poses what the world composes damned indecision and cursed pride i kept my love for her locked deep inside All right, it's later in the day and I'm about 30 pages deeper in book one of Fearless. And I know it's dumb to even bother fucking dissecting 
Fearless from the uh, creator of, I was going to say Little House on the Prairie, you know, um, Sweet Valley High. The TV pilot's really shitty, by the way. It's on YouTube. I watched, I don't know, I made it through like the first five minutes, but it's about the character's later life as a CIA, FBI, whatever, super soldier, not the uh, high school years. Terrible, terrible mistake. No wonder no one made this show. After like five minutes, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. Fuck this. But the book, I think I'm going to be rescued from the purgatory of reading 36 books in the series or whatever. Because it really got bad fast. Like, like, there's just all these coincidences of like, it takes place in New York City, but everybody knows everybody. This one random character happens to be the boyfriend of the other random character, and it's like, get out of here. Come on. And the melodrama. I mean, I guess, you know, what's the deal with melodrama? It's basically just drama is earned and melodrama is unearned, right? I mean, that's really it. And, I mean, does anybody like melodrama? Why? How is that a thing that anybody wants? Like, there's just this run where this one character that's just a ludicrous cartoon bitch is just being a super bitch. <laughs> and the main character is like, hey, don't go into the fucking... Don't go into the park because a bunch of uh, crazy neo-Nazis uh, are stabbing everybody. I just saw them with their big stabby knife. Or, you know, tries to tell her, but she just won't even listen. It's like, like there's literally this whole run of, like, multiple lines of dialogue where they the dumb bitch character just keeps saying like stop talking to me oh my god why are you still talking to me so this chick of course goes into the park and gets stabbed and the next day at school everybody's all upset like oh i heard that you saw her how come you didn't tell how come you didn't tell her not to go into the park how come you didn't warn her and instead of saying hey it's because this cunt face was being a fucking cunt you know what a cunt she is fuck her <laughs> you know like that's what was so fun about this book at first is this notion of the fearless character just seemed to cut through so much of this nonsense from fucking shitty kids books or shitty teenager books or whatever i'm really leaning more toward kids books because i feel like you got to be like 11 or 12 to think that these plot developments are acceptable <laughs> you know if you're 15 or 16 there's no way you're dealing with this you're not putting up with this but now, no, instead, this main character is just like, no, I didn't, I didn't tell. Oh, the shame. Oh, everyone hates me. Oh, my God. Oh, it's like, ugh, <laughs> I just hate that. It's like it directly contradicts the actual events that happened in the story. I mean, if you want that to be the big drama-rama beat, why not just have that be what happened in the fucking story? I fucking hate that shit. It's like, oh, no, I'm a big pariah now because I just failed deliberately to express the basic reality of what the situation was. I hate that. Does anybody like that? Like, that's what I just don't understand is like, is this one of those things that it's just, oh, this is just what you should do. This is how you're supposed to write. This is how you're supposed to build tension. Does anybody actually like that? I hate it. I fucking hate it. And then at the hospital, now it's like, oh my God, not only did this highly unlikely series of events happen, and not only does everyone hate me, 
But the boyfriend of the girl who got stabbed is also the guy that I saw at the chess park? Whoa! Like, man, what a difference 30 pages can make, you know? There was a, a stumble on page 99, and by page 130, I'm like, fuck you, book. Get the fuck out of here. So this doesn't bode well for the Fearless series, but it does bode well for me not wasting my time reading 60,000 books. No matter how bad it is, I'm going to start book two. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm kind of just out of horrible curiosity. And then, yeah, when book two lets me down, then I'm out. There's uh, the Fearless update. Talk to you tomorrow. She had nothing but time on her hands. Silver rings, turquoise stones, and purple nails. I rubbed my thumb across her palm. A feather bed where slept a psalm. Yea, though I walk, I used to fly, and now we dance. I watched my toenails blacken and walked a dead in trance. Till she woke me with the knife edge of her glance. The scars to prove the clock strikes with her hands. <laughs>